0: Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y dot Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. Today, we'll talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Day and whether, in general, you need a comma before junior, senior, and the third we'll see how writers accidentally use participial phrases to give their characters superpowers. In the United States, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day on the third Monday in January. At least, that's the common name for the occasion. According to the U.S. Government Printing Office Style Manual, the official name of the holiday is Birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. Either way, writers have to contend with that tricky Jr. on the end of the name, should you put a comma before it or not? You do see it both ways, and one reason is that the official name includes a comma, but many of the major style guides omit the comma from the holiday name and say to omit commas before junior in names in general. For example, the Associated Press says not to use a comma before designations such as junior and senior, and specifically does not include a comma in the name Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The Chicago Manual of Style gives the same advice on both fronts. Moving on to these labels in general, if someone is referred to as the third, you can use either the Roman numeral I, 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 or the Arabic numeral third after the name. When speaking a name, you say the third, but when writing a name, you don't include the word the before the numeral. Junior, senior, the third, and so on are only used when you're writing someone's full name. In publications, for example, you shouldn't refer to Bobby Jr. or Mr. Smith Sr. unless you're quoting someone who referred to Bobby or Mr. Smith that way. If a person uses junior as his nickname, instead of abbreviating it, write it capitalized as a full word, just like a name or any other nickname. Gardner's Modern American Usage also says it's fine to leave out the comma before junior, senior, and the like, and that to do so is logical. Gardner's has nearly three full columns reviewing the rules and etiquette that govern these labels, and there was a lot that I didn't previously know. The two most interesting are that traditionally, a father doesn't go by senior— Instead, he gets to just use his name, and then the son is supposed to be the one who gets a special call-out as junior. And once the father dies, again traditionally, the son drops the junior label and simply uses his name. In other words, Thurston Howell Third would only be the third if his father and grandfather are alive. But, as Garner notes, the traditional etiquette rules are often ignored these days— You should read the entire section of Garner's if you have access to the book. It's fascinating. It was definitely the style in the past to use a comma before Jr., and that's probably why the official name of the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. includes a comma. But things have changed, and current styles widely favor leaving out the comma. When I wrote about this a few years ago, I got a lot of mail from people who objected to leaving out the comma— And I wrote a follow-up that said that although leaving out the comma is the current style prescribed by major style guides, I'm okay with people being able to determine how their own name is formatted. I'm not a very combative editor, so I still probably wouldn't fight you about it, but Jonathan Owen, an editor who blogs at Errant Pedantry, made a very compelling case about why people shouldn't be allowed to insist on a comma when the style says to leave it out. His main point is that punctuation is different from spelling, that spelling can vary from name to name and is, in a way, the essence of a name, but that punctuation is just a formatting issue that should follow standard conventions. I was persuaded, and I'll put a link to his post in the transcript of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com so you can read it yourself, but in short, the general modern style is to write names such as Martin Luther King Jr. without the comma— That's what you should see in private newspapers and on websites. But if you write for a government publication or website that follows USGPO style, you should include the comma before junior. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Next, I have a piece written by editor Joshua Esso about a common error he sees in fiction writing. Here's his piece. I want to talk about a time warp in writing that I see fairly often participial phrases that seem to suggest impossible simultaneous action. Good grief, what does that mean? Well, it means it's a good opportunity to talk about grammar, and it also means I see sentences where characters are performing multiple actions, but one of those actions must obviously take place before the other can happen, and in the sentence, they don't. For example, taking off his jacket— he threw his keys on the countertop and poured himself a whiskey. What's wrong with that sentence? Well, first let me back up and explain a couple of things. A participial phrase is a phrase that acts like an adjective and starts with a participle. Whoa there, cowboy, I hear you saying, what's a participle? Well, participles are verbals. They look like verbs. They smell like verbs. They sound like verbs, but they are not verbs. Yes, they have identity issues. But they're a little easier to pin down than Kaiser Sose. A participle is a word formed from a verb that can be used as an adjective. That doesn't make a lot of immediate sense, so here are some examples. You can talk about the falling hero, and falling is the participle of the verb to fall. I could talk about the heated oven, and heated is the past participle of the verb to heat. The two types of participles are the present participle, ending in ing, and the past participle, usually ending in ed, d, t, en, or n. But there are irregular forms, too, such as rung, which is the past participle of the verb, to ring, for example, in the phrase the rung bell. Participial phrases contain at least one participle, and a phrase is a group of words without both a subject and verb that functions as a single part of speech. A participial phrase acts like an adjective phrase. So going back to our examples, here they are again, used as participial phrases. Falling from his mount, the hero clutched his wound. Falling from his mount is the participial phrase telling us about the subject, the hero. The blade glowed orange, heated in the smith's fire. Heated in the smith's fire is the participial phrase telling us about the blade. And note that the participial phrase doesn't have to be at the beginning. It can come last in the sentence, too. I saw the pastor ringing the bell. Ringing the bell is the participial phrase telling us about the pastor. And here's one last example. Blasting fireballs from his hands. The wizard attacked. What's the noun being modified? The wizard. What's the participle? Blasting. And what is the participial phrase? Blasting fireballs from his hands. Also, be wary of creating a situation where the participial phrase doesn't actually modify anything. When this happens, it's just left hanging there. It becomes a dangling participle. What this means is that sometimes it becomes difficult to determine what noun the participial phrase is modifying. And sometimes that noun isn't even in the sentence. Let's go back to our wizard and give him a dangling participle. Blasting fireballs from his hands, the enemy was vanquished. So blasting fireballs from his hands no longer modifies anything. Its noun has vanished. It doesn't modify enemy. It's still supposed to be modifying the wizard, but the wizard isn't in the sentence anymore. To fix this, change it to this. Blasting fireballs from his hands, the wizard vanquished the enemy. Okay, now back to our original example that warped time. Taking off his jacket, he threw his keys on the countertop and poured himself a whiskey. Have you identified what's wonky there yet? How can he be taking off his jacket while he's throwing his keys on the countertop and pouring whiskey? Unless you're writing Shiva or Dexter Jester, this isn't possible. Many authors don't realize they have multiple separate actions taking place at the same time when they aren't precise with their language. Make sure that when your characters are performing actions, they complete their first action before moving on to the next. I see this a lot with the conjunction as, too. Back to our example. This is clearer. He took his jacket off. Threw his keys on the countertop, then poured himself a whiskey. The sentence also offers an opportunity for including sensory information, using more specific language, and using language that isn't so neutral. So you could write, he shrugged out of his jacket, leaving the creaking leather where it fell. His tossed keys clattered across the stained countertop, and he grabbed an open bottle of wild turkey by the sink. He gave it a quick pass under his nose, enjoying how it burned away a few hairs before sloshing some into a smudged glass. You get the idea. So when you're writing, mind your dangly bits. Don't warp time, and remember to include specific information to bring your writing to life. That was by Joshua Esso, who's a full-time freelance editor. He's done work for bestsellers including David Farland, James Artemis Owen, and Dean Laurie. He's the copy editor at Urban Fantasy Magazine and co-founder of the weekly writing podcast Hide and Create. A 2014 finalist in the Writers of the Future contest, he lives with his wife and three horrible cats near UCLA. You can find his website at joshuaso.com. Finally, I have a friend who just loves to say the word onomatopoeia. He would just walk around the office at saying it some days over and over again. So, I was drawn to this entry from the book Word Workout that I'm providing here with permission from the publisher. Onomatopoeia is the formation or use of a word in imitation of the sound that a thing or an action makes. Onomatopoeia comes from the Greek onomatopoeia, the making of words, a combination of onoma, a name, and poian, to make, and the ultimate source of the English word poet the adjective is onomatopoeic. When I was a kid, I loved to read comic books about superheroes battling supervillains in a mythic clash between good and evil. Because comics don't have soundtracks, the illustrator would include big, bold words with exclamation points to depict the sounds of the struggle. Wham! Bash! Crunch! Pow! Kaboom! I didn't know it then, but all these smashing words were classic examples of onomatopoeia. The sound must seem an echo of the sense, proclaimed the 18th century English poet Alexander Pope, providing us with a concise guideline for creating onomatopoeic words, ones formed in imitation of sound. Today, the English language contains a vast number of onomatopoeic words, most of them short and vivid, like the sounds they represent. Many imitate the sounds that animals make—the buzz of a bee, the bow-wow of a dog, the croak of a frog, the sibilant hiss of a snake, and the lyrical cock-a-doodle-doo of a rooster. Many others imitate sounds in nature, such as crack, thud, clunk, pop, plop, and whoosh, or the sounds that objects make, such as the ding-dong of a bell The clickety-clack of a keyboard, the tick-tock of a clock, the bang or rat-a-tat-tat of a gun, and the beep of almost every dad-blamed thing in this digital age. Still others imitate sounds human beings make that convey meaning, such as shush, psst, burr, ahem, hmm, pshaw, and phew. Onomatopoeia is commonly mispronounced with mana in the middle, onomatopoeia. Take care to put a mat in the word, onomatopoeia. That was an excerpt from Word Workout by Charles Harrington Elster, read here with permission from St. Martin's Griffin. This podcast was recorded in the quiet studios at the Reynolds School. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all my books at your favorite online bookstore by searching for Grammar Girl or in the real world by asking a friendly bookstore employee. That's all. Thanks for listening. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, Blue psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms and of course get 30 percent off all of our other colors shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood sherwin-williams store click the banner to learn more retail sales only some exclusions apply see store for details imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.